And if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it with me in the book of Genesis chapter 12 and then the book of Proverbs chapter 17. Two places tonight, Genesis chapter 12 and beginning at verse 9 uh, or 8 there and then we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 17. Genesis is in the beginning of your Bible and Proverbs right about the middle. Thank you, praise team. Let's give the praise team a hand tonight for their help. Is God good or what? Amen. Amen. We have been talking about Abraham, the friend of God. Uh, comenzamos hace unas semanas hablando sobre Abraham, el amigo de Dios. And I think it's probably, uh, without question, the desire of every person here tonight to be a friend of God. I don't know if you knew that or not. But it is possible to be God's friend. Uh, quizá usted no lo sabía, pero usted uh, y yo podemos ser amigos de Dios. Y uh, esta noche continuamos hablando sobre Abraham, el amigo de Dios. We've taken Abraham as our subject because the Bible calls Abraham in the book of Isaiah the friend of God. In fact, God says, Abraham, my friend. Dice Dios en Isaías, uh, refiriendo a Abraham, dice, Abraham, mi amigo. And I think all of us would like to have God say that about us. Sin duda, todos quisiéramos que Dios dijera, él es mi amigo, ella es mi amigo. Wouldn't you like God to say, that, that woman, that man is my friend? That's when you know you have friends in high places. Es ahí donde tiene amigos en lugares altos. Well, God wants you to be his friend. And the Bible um, teaches us through the life of Abraham what friendship with God is like. And so tonight I want us to read Genesis chapter 12. We'll get a little bit of the story there. And then uh, Proverbs 17. At 17 will uh, give you a hint as to where we're going tonight. Genesis 12 verse 8. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was very severe in the land. And then Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 it says, a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. All right, so tonight I want to talk about being God's friend in tough times. Esta noche vamos a hablar de ser amigo de Dios aún en momentos difíciles. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you tonight for the opportunity you've given us to be in your house, uh, to study your word and to worship you. I pray tonight that you would bless every person who made the effort to be in church uh, tonight. That you would bless their children, their home life. That there would be physical, tangible, spiritual evidence in their life this week that they have been in the presence of the Lord. And Lord, I pray also that you would bless us as we study your word. Speak to us tonight. Everyone in here has a hunger and a thirst. And those who are watching online, we're thirsty and hungry for your voice. God, I know the limitations of my voice. I know the limitations of my words. But your words and your voice have no limit. 
So we pray, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us by the power of the word of God. We ask that in Jesus' name. And let's just say a great big amen. 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 I want to tie this in tonight with where we left off Sunday morning. Sunday morning we were talking about taming lions. El uh, domingo en la mañana hablamos de domando uh, leones. So we talked about what to do when you are attacked by lions. The, the, hablamos de qué hacer cuando somos atacados por leones. And there were three basic things we, we learned both from the Bible as well as from the Smithsonian. And that was that when you face a lion, the first thing you have to do is face it. Don't run. Lo que vimos el domingo es que cuando somos atacados por leones, lo primero es no corra, sino hazle frente. And uh, the second thing was to stand still. And we learned that God's word says, be still and know that I am God. Lo segundo es estarte quieto, estar parado firme. And those two things uh, relate to us the importance of facing challenges in, la, in our life. Esas dos cosas nos relatan la importancia de cómo uh, reaccionar o responder, mejor dicho, a los desafíos que vienen a nuestra vida. And tonight I want to begin there because as we talk about being a friend of God, uh, it's easy to be a friend with someone in the good times, right? Say amen, somebody. Es muy fácil ser amigo de alguien en los tiempos buenos. When you've got a lot of money, when you've got uh, a nice car, when you have a good job, when uh, everything is favorable, it's real easy to have a lot of friends. Everybody wants to be your friend in the good times. Todos quieren ser nuestro amigo en las horas buenas. Cuando hay dinero, cuando hay tiempo, cuando hay un buen trabajo, buenas maneras de disfrutar, todos quieren ser amigos. Everybody wants to visit your house if you have a swimming pool, right? Todos quieren visitar tu casa si hay una alberca, si tienes comida en la parrilla, if you have some, uh, some meat on the grill, you're going to have a lot of friends. But if your swimming pool cracks and your uh, and the, uh, the, it dries up, and if you burn the meat, and if, uh, if things go sour in your life, and, and uh, things start to turn against you, you start to find out who your friends are, don't you? Cuando pasan cosas adversas en tu vida, ya no tiene la alberca, ya quemaste la carne o se te acabó, y se acabó el... El dinero, ahí se, se comienzan a mostrar quiénes son las amistades verdaderas que tú tienes. And we all notice this in our natural day-to-day -day life. Todos uh, notamos esto en nuestra vida diaria. Pero, quiero preguntarte, ¿qué clase de amigo eres hacia Dios? Now, I want to ask you tonight, with that in mind, what kind of friend are you? Toward God. Are you a fair weather friend when God is concerned? Eres o somos amigos de buena, uh, buena hora y de buen, buenos tiempos hacia Dios. And then when, when things are tough, do we withdraw our friendship from God? This is sometimes how uh, spiritual life goes for some people. A veces la vida espiritual para algunos. Es que en los tiempos buenos buscamos, cerca, nos acercamos a Dios. En los tiempos malos es difícil estar de amistad 
con Dios. And, and I don't want to just gloss over this as though, you know, you're bad if you do that and, uh, and you're good if you don't. No quiero solamente uh, señalar con un solo pase así decir, si, eres, si haces eso eres malo y si no lo haces es bueno. Because the fact is this, that sometimes life is just downright hard. A veces la vida es difícil. And sometimes you don't know what or how to relate to God. A veces es tan amargo el momento que no sabes cómo relacionarte a Dios. And you can put Job in that context. Podemos poner a Job en ese contexto where at the beginning of the book of Job, Job is being bragged about by God, but in the middle of the book, Job doesn't know which side God is on. And it's hard to be God's friend in those moments. Job, quizá al principio del libro, leemos que él era amigo de Dios y Dios está hablando de Job con palabras muy buenas, pero para el medio de la mediación del libro, Job no sabe en qué lado está Dios. Job said, I looked to the, to the front, I looked to the back, I looked right, I looked left, I couldn't find you. Job dice, busqué, miré hacia frente, hacia atrás, al lado, no te hallé. And life happens like that sometimes. A veces en la vida ocurren momentos así where you look to your future, you can't see what God's up to. You look in your past, you don't know what God was up to. You look beside you, you seem like you can't figure God out. A veces miras a tu futuro, miras a tu pasado, miras a tu lado, no puedes figurar qué es lo que Dios está haciendo en este momento. Anybody ever been there? We're going to be honest tonight, right? Vamos a ser honestos esta noche y saber que a veces hemos pasado por ahí. And if you've ever passed through there, I want to congratulate you. Say, come on, pastor, don't do that. That doesn't sound like it's something I want to be congratulated on. Si usted ha pasado por ahí, le quiero felicitar. Because that means God trusted you with trouble. Si usted ha pasado por ahí, es porque Dios confió en usted con los problemas. You see, God can't trust everybody with trouble. Dios no puede confiar en todos en medio de un problema. Some people get a headache. They curse God. Algunos le da dolor de cabeza y están maldiciendo a Dios. God can't trust them with trouble. I've seen other people, and you've seen other people who've been on a deathbed dying of a cancer and who are saying, bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And through the pain and through the tears, they are proving that they have a relationship with God that goes beyond the good times, that goes beyond what I can see and feel and understand, and it goes to the core of who God is and who God is in my life. And if that's your goal, shout amen. That's my goal tonight, to be a friend that the Bible describes in Proverbs 17. A friend loves at all times. I want to be a friend with God who loves at all times. Yo quiero ser tan amigo de Dios que yo lo puedo amar en todos los tiempos, todas las épocas de nuestra vida. Now, uh, let's get to Abraham here because Abraham then becomes a picture for us of what we're talking about. Abraham se hace ahora un cuadro de, uh, un ejemplo de, para uh, nosotros de lo que estamos hablando. So notice with me that in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham. 
And he tells him, I am going to bless you. Say, bless you. How many of you like to be blessed? ¿Cuándo les gusta ser bendecidos? Dios llama a Abraham y le dice, te voy a bendecir. And this is the substance of the promise. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. That's a big promise. Dios le dice a Abraham, te voy a bendecir de tal manera, te voy a hacer nación, voy a hacer tu nombre grande, voy a hacer que los que te bendigan sean bendecidos y los que te maldigan te sean maldecidos y yo voy a bendecirte hasta que todas las naciones sean benditas por medio de tu vida. And we, we can watch the life of the nation of Israel and we see how God kept that promise to Abraham. Podemos ver como Dios... But I just want you to know this. God has decided to bless you. Some of you don't care, but I, I, I'm going to say it again. I said, God has decided to bless you. Amen. Say amen. That means that when people curse you, God says, I'm going to curse those who curse you. And I'm going to bless those who bless you. So when people bless you, they can expect blessing. And that's why you got to be careful who you put your mouth on, all right? Don't talk about people that are blessed. Don't lie about blessed people. Don't touch blessed people because God says you touch my blessed people, there's going to be repercussions for that. All right, now this is getting serious. He got real serious on me now. And God says if if I'm going, to, I'm going to do this in your life, Abram, I'm going to bless you. And if you read further, you read that God blessed Abram in every way. That, that's my life goal right there. Blessed in every way. And Jesus told us, in fact, uh, the, the book of Galatians, Paul writes about how Jesus made us a part of the blessing of Abraham. So that the blessing that's on Abraham is on us because we're in Christ. Say amen, somebody. All right, now, all that's great. Say amen. I love that. I could preach there all night. You guys would be shouting amen, and you'd be taking notes. You'd be excited about that. But then you start reading a little further through, and, and at verse 8, uh, God tells Abraham, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. God tells Abraham, you're going to leave your, your country, your relatives, your people. You know, imagine Abraham lives in Beeville, and his mama and his daddy and his the mother-in-law and father-in-law live in Beeville. Everybody lives in Beeville. Uh, everything he knows is in Beeville. And God says, I want you to leave Beeville. And you're going to go to a land that I'll show you. Which way? Don't worry about which way. Just when you get there, you'll know. How many of you would take that kind of trip? Not too many of us would. But Abraham takes that journey. He leaves the land of his comfort. And I taught you last time that every step along the way, he started to build an altar before God. But here's what happens. In verse 9, he arrives at the promised land. In verse 9, Abraham llega al Negev, llega a la tierra prometida. Now, I want you to read right there what verse 10 says. All right? It says, now there was famine in the land. Say that with me. Now there was famine in the land. Now, this is where the problem, the cart starts to get upset a little bit. 
Aquí es donde el carretón se comienza a, a balasear un poco. Because God just told you, I'm going to promise, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to give you a land that's flowing with milk and honey. And then he gets to the land and there's a famine in the land. Dios le dice, te voy a bendecir y te voy a prosperar y te voy a dar una tierra. Y cuando él llega a la tierra es tiempo de sequía. Now, you have to kind of learn to expect this, all right? And I've started to learn to expect this, but it's, it's an important principle for you to learn. That the promised land, when you arrive at your promise, it's not always going to be in the best season. Now, this is important because we think, okay, God promised Disney World. And we get there, and it's like 40-year-old circus with crickety roller coasters. And say, what happened? God said one thing, I'm looking at another. And that's where our friendship with God starts to be tested. Es ahí cuando usted llega al lugar de lo prometido... Y no se ve lo que usted fue prometido, que la amistad con Dios comienza a ser probada. And this is a principle we see all throughout Scripture. Notice that when the nation of Israel arrived at the promised land with Joshua, that the Jordan River was flooded a mile wide. And you would think, okay, if God's going to give them possession of the land, he's going to... Make sure it's a good season. It's a good time. But you have to ask yourself this question. Why does God do this? Why does God bring you into promise at uncomfortable and unfavorable moments? ¿Por qué será que Dios a veces nos da entrada a la promesa en un momento que no es confortable? En un momento de sequía. And so what I want you to know tonight is, first of all, you have to face the famine. Usted tiene que aprender a hacerle frente a la, a la sequía. Why? Because if you're asking the question, why does God do this? This is why. God always brings us to the end of ourselves. Dios siempre nos trae hacia la orilla de lo que es mi fuerza. Listen, friends. If, if God brought us in, if he brought Abram in, when the land was booming and blossoming, or if he let Joshua come into the promised land when the flood, or when the river was crossable by human means, then they would have boasted in themselves. They would have said, I did this. I overcame this problem. I fought my way through. But in as much as the only way that they could get by was with God's help, then the only one who can get the glory is God. Are you understanding why this happens then? So sometimes you get to a place of famine in your life, and it's not because you did anything wrong. It's not because you have upset God. And although judgment is uh, famine is judgment often in the book in the in the Bible, uh, the the fact is that when you face a famine, it might be God's way of glorifying Himself in your life. Cuando usted llega a un momento de sequía, esa es la, la hora que Dios se quiere glorificar en tu vida. 
And so now you have the option of spacing the famine or running. Usted tiene la opción, la decisión, voy a hacerle frente a la sequía o voy a correr. What do you do when you have a famine? ¿Qué haces cuando hay una sequía? Well, one option is to run. And we see that throughout the Bible. The, an example is Naomi and her husband. The Bible says that there came a famine to Bethlehem, to the promised land again, and they ran from the famine. They ran to Moab. And in Moab, the husband died and the two sons died, and Naomi was left desolate and widowed. We see that uh, when, when you and I run from the famine, like Abraham is about to do, the Bible says, look at verse 10, what does he do? Now there was a famine in the land, so Abraham went where? Down to Egypt. Everybody say, down to Egypt. Notice, the Holy Spirit doesn't use any unnecessary words in the Bible. Every time you run from a problem, you're going down. Where did he go? Down to Egypt. Abraham comienza a correr, dice que bajó a Egipto. Ahora, el Espíritu Santo no usa palabras que no son necesarias. Él nos da a entender que correrle a la sequía es ir hacia abajo. And listen, church, every time you go to Egypt, Egypt is a type of sin, self-effort, self-reliance. Egipto es una... una Tipo, un cuadro de el pecado y de la justicia propia. So every time you go to Egypt, you're relying on yourself. Cada vez que vemos a un siervo de Dios ir a Egipto, lo vemos depender de sí mismo. And listen, we have to be very careful not to shift over into self-reliance. Because that, that's where our flesh feels at home. Nuestra carne se siente en casa cuando está dependiendo de sí mismo. And the, the, the path to Egypt, notice, is always downward. Anytime you leave the will of God, you're going down. I didn't hear any amens. Amen. Every time you leave the will of God, you're going down. Amen. Listen, even if it looks like you're going up, if you're leaving God's will, you're going down. If God tells you, don't take that job, and you take it, and it feels like you're going up, you're actually going down. However, when you're doing God's will, even when it feels like you're going down, you're going up. Even when it feels like you're not gaining any ground, God says, you're in my will. You're doing what I want. I'm going to get you to where I need you to go. And so Abram has a choice, and instead of sticking with it and facing the famine, he runs, he leaves to Egypt, always a step downward, now, notice, notice here there's an absence of a few things. When he makes this decision, there's no record of an altar. He never stopped to inquire of God. Cuando Abraham hace esa decisión, no hay un altar. We see an altar in, uh, in verse 7 and in verse 8, but we don't see an altar in verse 9. And verse 10. And so we see that Moses makes an altarless decision. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? Basically this. Moses makes a, pre, a decision without talking to God. Without prayer, without worship, without seeking wisdom, 
whatever it is that uh, everything it is that is involved in that is absent from this picture. Abraham hace una decisión sin un altar, sin oración, sin buscar a Dios. And I tell you this over and over again because it's so important. When you're going to make an important decision, always pray about it. You know, some people, they pray about whether they're going to have Wheaties or Fruit Loops in the morning. But then they're going to buy a car and they don't pray. They're going to get married and they don't ask God if this is the guy or if this is the girl. Come on, somebody. Make every major decision only after consulting God. Haz cada decisión grande solamente después de haber consultado con Dios. Talk to God. Talk to your wife or your husband. Talk to a spiritual leader. Go to the word of God. See what does God's word say about this matter. And you only go forward upon the advice and counsel of the word and the voice of God. Solo haga decisiones después de haber consultado con Dios, con una uh, autoridad espiritual, con su esposa, su esposo, con la palabra de Dios. Porque cuando usted hace una decisión sin buscar lo que Dios quiere hacer, usted va a hacer un error. Whenever you make a decision without seeking God, it's, it's going to lead to an error. And listen. Usually, we make long life-term, uh, life-term, long-term decisions and errors when we don't ask God. And uh, let me just uh, uh, warn you about this because I, I know that the high school students are in the in this class tonight. The most important decisions of your life, the ones you're going to be living with when you're 40 and 50, you're making them right now. The adults are so quiet tonight. You're making them right now. When you're 18, 19, 20, 21, you're making decisions about who you're going to be with for the rest of your life. Or who you're going to be fighting with for the rest of your life. You're making decisions about what career you're going to choose. All of those decisions need to be led by the Spirit. They need to be governed by the altar. Cada decisión que usted hace uh, tiene que ser gobernada por la voz de Dios. And if God doesn't say anything, don't do anything. Wait. Si Dios no habla, espéralo. Saul lost his kingdom. Listen, King Saul lost his kingdom because he made a decision without wanting to wait for God. Saúl perdió su reino porque hizo una decisión sin querer esperar a Dios. Now, Abram is making a prayerless decision and the cost is going to be significant. El costo para Abraham va a ser significante. And I'm just going to give you a real quick summary of what the cost was because I don't have the time to go all through that tonight. But listen, Hagar, have you ever heard of Hagar? Hagar came into Abram's life while he was in Egypt. Agar, si usted conoce la historia, conoce a Agar, Agar llegó a la vida de Abraham en Egipto. So Abram's biggest 
family problem for the rest of his days was going to come into his life at a moment when he made a decision without consulting God. Now, Abram can't go 20 years later and tell God, God, this Hagar problem is your problem. No, God said, no, I didn't, I didn't send you to Egypt. That's your decision. You, you've made that decision. So Abraham's prayerless decision is going to cost us. And you say, how did it cost us? Because the conflict today between Ishmael and Israel is still going on. Because Abraham went to Egypt. That is why there's no peace in the Middle East tonight. There's no peace in the Middle East. Why? Because Abraham went down to Egypt. Esta noche mismo no hay paz en el Medio Oriente. ¿Por qué? Porque Abraham bajó a Egipto. Y estando ahí, se trajo a Agar y Agar produjo a Ismael. Ismael y Isaac han estado peleando en el Medio Oriente hasta el día de hoy. Usted no puede subestimar lo que es el precio de hacer decisiones sin buscar la voluntad de Dios. You cannot underestimate the cost of making decisions without consulting God. Now the other thing about this, this path of this decision is that it was a deceptive decision. It looked like Abraham was getting away from the famine. Parecía que Abraham estaba escapando, but in fact he was getting entrapped. Parecía que Abraham estaba escapando, pero en vez de escapar, estaba siendo atrapado. En vez de salir adelante, iba a salir atrás. Y la, re, la, la realidad es esta. This is the, the fact right here. Is that wherever you go, your test is going to follow you. See, the test was whether Abraham was going to trust God in famine or not. El examen de la amistad entre Abraham y Dios lo iba a seguir. Y el examen siempre te va a seguir. Listen, you can say, you know what, uh, God, uh, things aren't going well in Beeville. I'm going to move to New York. Well, guess what? If God is trying to test your faith, that test is going to be in New York. God always gets his man. Si Dios está examinándote, si tú dices, yo voy a irme de aquí a Nueva York, allá en Nueva York, allá va a estar tu examen. It's like Monday morning after you miss the spelling test on Friday, right? Es como llegar a la escuela el lunes y sabes que no tuviste que tomar el examen el viernes porque no estabas ahí. You have an airtight excuse. You had a tummy ache. Couldn't come to school on Friday. Uh, it's Monday. It's a new week. No more tests. Guess what the teacher says? All right, everybody go on to lunch. But Isaac, you have an exam. No recess. Nope, you have to take this quiz. But it's Monday. You're not going to get past this grade without this quiz. And a lot of people are still in spiritual first grade because they haven't been taking the tests. Every time a test comes, they get away. They run to Egypt. It's a, I know this is a real quiet lesson tonight. I get that. But I just want you to understand that you're not going to outrun this thing. And it's right there where the test of friendship is, is, 
most important. Es ahí donde el examen de la amistad es tan importante. Because friend, if you have decided to walk with God, you can walk with God in famine. Usted puede caminar con Dios en una sequía. Tell your neighbor that tonight. You can walk with God in a famine. Do you believe that? I hope you believe that because you're going to need it. I said you can walk with God in a famine. Si se puede caminar con Dios en una sequía. Listen, this is the most beautiful picture for me because Elijah causes the famine in 1 King. En Primera de Reyes, el profeta Elías causó la sequía. He went over and told the king, there will not be dew nor rain in the land of Israel till I say the word. And that did not exempt him from the famine. El baile dice al rey Ahab, no va a haber rocío ni lluvia en la tierra de Israel hasta que yo dé la palabra. Y eso lo hizo a él parte de la sequía. Now we read that there's a famine. Ahora leemos que hay una sequía. And you would think, okay, well, I'm the one that created the famine, so there must be an exemption clause in here somewhere. Debe haber una excepción para mí porque yo soy el profeta. God says, go to the brook called Kareth. Go to a little creek. Dios le dice, vete al arroyo. Y ahí yo voy a proveer. I'm going to provide for you. And the Bible said that twice a day, morning and evening, a crow would bring Abram meat. And he had meals every day as he walked with God in the middle of the famine. Abraham tuvo carne todos los días, dos veces al día, porque Dios mandó un cuervo para darle de comer. Thank God he'll use the crows even if he has to. Qué bueno que Dios aún puede usar los cuervos. Come on, you don't, your, your blessing's not always going to come from the pastor. All right, your blessing might come from your worst enemy someday. Quizá tu, tu bendición va a venir por un enemigo un día. And then the Bible said that the brook dried up. Y luego se le secó el arroyo. Now, it was tough enough living by a brook, eating crow's meat. But now, the brook's dried up. So this is pity party time, right? Only me. God hates me. Aquí, ahora, el profeta tiene la opción de llorar. y ¿Ahora qué? Se me secó el arroyo. Lo último que tenía. The last thing I had is dried up. Come, you're, you're smiling so uh, sweetly tonight, but I know you have been there. I haven't been there with you, but I have heard you complain. Because I have heard myself complain. And we say stuff like, Lord, if it wasn't bad enough that I was already dealing with this. Come on, you got to be honest tonight. As if I didn't already have enough problems. Couple people called me this week and said, Pastor, the Lord's sending all the lions at once in my life. <laughs> Have you ever felt like that? 
I'll tell you, if we could handle one, if God would send one problem at a time, it would be no problem. And cake. But he sends them all at once. And we say it really does. When it rains, it pours. Si ya, si no era suficiente, lo que tengo ahora es esto. Se le seca el arroyo. And the brook dries up and God says, go to the, to the village of Zarephath. Because I have called a widow to provide for you. Can you walk with God in a famine? Yes. Now listen. It, the Bible says Elijah goes to the widow's house. She's about ready to die. She's going to make one last bread cake for her and her son. And she's going to die. When Elijah sees her, she's gathering wood. So she can make a fire. And make her bread cake so she can die. And I keep using that word so she can die because that's what she's thinking. That's what she's saying. And she's saying, I am going to die, but I'm going to die full. Now, the prophet shows up and he says, bring me a little water. What are we in? A famine. What's he asking for? Water. She says, all right, I can do that. He says, and bring me a bread cake too. In Spanish, there's only one way to say that in Spanish. Este profeta pediche. <laughs> Who does this guy think he is? First he's asking for water in a famine. Now he's asking me for bread too. She says, all I have left is one, one bread cake, and my son and I are going to eat it, and then you're going to die. He says, make me a bread cake. Bring it to me first. And you're going to have enough bread to survive this famine. And so she goes in there. She takes a little bit of flour that's left, a little bit of oil that's left, makes a bread cake. When she goes back to the bowl of flour, there's more flour. And this went on for three years. Every time she went to the bowl of of flour. There was flour. And every time she went to pour the oil, there was oil. Come on, somebody. I, I don't just want you to say amen because you like the story. I want you to say amen because you have lived the story. Can you walk with God in a famine or not? Se puede caminar con Dios en una sequía? Absolutely. Think about this, though. Now it's not just Elijah walking with God in a famine. Now it's Elijah and the widow and her son walking with God in the famine. You see, if you don't run from your famine, it doesn't just bless you. It blesses everybody with you. But if you run from the famine, it hurts you and everybody with you. So you have to face the famine. Tell your neighbor, face the famine. And you say, Pastor, that's tough. I know it's tough. But see, friendship with God is at all times. La amistad con Dios es en todo tiempo. It's that relationship with God that says, I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to read my Bible. Whatever season I'm in. 
Because my circumstances don't determine whether I'm a friend of God or not. What determines that I'm a friend of God is that one day when I was a wretch, had nothing going for me at all, God chose me and he filled me with his spirit and he made me his son, his daughter. He made me his friend. Come on, somebody. That's what makes this relationship with God what it is. Is that whether I have... uh, crows to feed me or a widow to feed me or whether I have to depend on manna whatever it is God is faithful I can trust him when I cannot see his hand I can trust his heart I know that God is going to do good by me this is what Job said in Job chapter Um, 5 verse 20 he says in famine I will be redeemed say that with me in famine I will be redeemed so Abram misses out on that story now instead of talking about how Abram succeeded in the famine we're talking about Hagar and all these other problems that came into his life and our life as a result You can walk with God in the midst of the famines of your life. Now, if you go with me, please, to John chapter 15. We'll put a, we'll put a, a bow on this tonight and tie it together. Because Jesus speaks to us about this. Juan capítulo 15 Verse 15, verso 15. Jesus says, well, let's look at verse 14. He says, you are what? You are what? Dice, ¿quién eres? Mis amigos. That'll put a smile on your face. I don't care you got fired today. Smile right now. God just said, you are my friend. Come on, somebody. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now he said, no longer do I call you slave. For slaves do not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Say amen, somebody. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. And that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Just just soak this in tonight, all right? Because we're talking about walking with God in a famine. Friendship with God in the famine. And what we notice here is that Jesus says, you're no longer my slave. You're my friend. And the difference, he says, between a slave and a friend is this, that a slave doesn't know what's going on. A slave doesn't have insight. A servant doesn't get to know the details. But God says, I've called you to be my friend. That means that I'm going to, if you will seek me, if you will call upon me, if you will ask me, 
I will explain to you what I'm doing in your life. I'll give you insight into what's going on in your life so that you're not just wondering what's God up to. When you walk with God as a friend, he tells you. Cuando usted camina con Dios como amigo, es algo más que ser siervo solamente, porque un siervo no sabe lo que está pasando, no entiende, no, no tiene la derecho a saber, pero el amigo puede saber, es un, un estado de madurez. This is a place of maturity. When you're able to walk with God and, and he tells you things that are going on. There's a point in the Bible where God is about to uh, judge Sodom and Gomorrah and he says I cannot destroy Sodom and Gomorrah without telling my friend Abraham. Think about that. Dios en un, en un momento en, en uh, Génesis él va a juzgar Sodoma y Gomorrah y él dice yo no le puedo juzgar a Sodoma y Gomorrah sin decirle a mi amigo Abraham. What's going on there? Is that Abraham has come into a closeness with God where God is disclosing to him his plans. How many of you want to walk there? ¿Cuántos quieren caminar ahí? So you can walk there. And sometimes it might sound like this. God might say, look, what I'm doing in your son's life right now, the reason I let him go to jail, the reason I let him get locked up last night was because I'm trying to get his attention and you need to sit still and let me work. That's a friend talking right there. Don't you love those friends that just tell you like it is? You're lying. You hate them. ¿Cuántos les gustan esos amigos que nos dicen la verdad? Listen, if I'm wearing something that doesn't look good, I want my friends to tell me. Don't look. They don't work for you. Come on, you guys don't like that, do you? You just want people to tell you, look good. That's the best dress you ever bought. And behind your back saying, I can't believe she's wearing that. Algunos de ustedes quieren amigos que les dicen, no, te ves bien. Y detrás de la espalda, no, no puedo creer que compraron eso. Listen, a friend... The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. La Escritura dice que fieles son las heridas de un amigo. Someone is not your friend because they tell you what you want to hear. Someone is your friend when they tell you what you don't want to hear. Alguien no es tu amigo porque te dice lo que quieres oír. Es tu amigo cuando te dicen lo que no quieres oír. So, guys, you might have to wake up and realize tonight your wife is the best friend you've got. I didn't hear a single amen. And, ladies, you might have to realize your husband is the best friend you've got. What good is it people are going to tell you what you want to hear and lead you astray? A friend is someone who will tell you, this is wrong. This is wrong. you got to go fix that. Un amigo es alguien que te va a decir la verdad. And God tells you sometimes, he tells me sometimes the truth. And we don't want to hear the truth. We rebuke the devil. 
A veces Dios nos dice la verdad que tenemos que oír. ¿Por qué? Porque es nuestro amigo. Y en vez de oírlo, estamos reprendiendo al diablo. Retírate de aquí, diablo. No tiene parte ni suerte en mi vida. Devil, get out of my life. You have no place in my life. And God's telling you, you've got you've to get that stuff out of your life. Friendship with God means that you're going to have to hear sometimes things you don't want to hear. But listen, when God wounds, he improves. Cuando Dios trae una herida es para hacerte mejor. And walking with him on that level, at that place of intimacy, is a place of maturity. Abram left Egypt because he didn't want to endure the test. And he's going to learn real quick from that experience. And listen, what happens with Abram is he goes right back to where he got off course. That's the answer. When you get out of the will of God, you have to go right back where you got off course. God doesn't do shortcuts. Tell your neighbor, God doesn't do shortcuts. You have to go right back where he got off course. If, if he doesn't do that, Abraham's going to be missing pieces. Si Dios no deja que, que Abraham regrese, tenga que regresar al lugar donde se desvió, Abraham va a llegar al fin de su vida y el cuadro va a estar faltando pedazos. Listen, if you get off course and you don't go back where you, where you got off, at the end of your life you're going to have that puzzle all put together and it's going to be missing pieces. God wants you whole. And he wants you to say, okay, I'm going to walk with you, Lord, not just in the good times, in the happy times, but in all times. Now, what is John 15 really teaching us? Listen, because if you look at John 15, what you understand is this, is that Jesus is calling us his friends. But how do we become and how do we survive as his friend in hard times when he tells us things we don't want to hear? It's two words, abiding and pruning. John 15, Jesus begins by saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. Every branch that abides in me will bear much fruit. How do you survive a friendship with God in a famine? By abiding in him. ¿Cómo es que usted va a, a sobrevivir en una sequía? Cuando usted habita en la viña. Jesús dijo en Juan 15.1, yo soy la vida verdadera y el que permanezca en mí tendrá mucho fruto. Listen, you will only survive a famine if you abide. Abraham didn't abide, he got disconnected, he had to come back. So the, the, the solution then is to abide, to hang on, to stay connected to God. The Bible said that he that abides in the shadow of the, uh, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Listen, under the shadow of the Almighty, that's protection. 
That's why we can walk with God in a famine. Because while you're walking through that desert, there's a shadow over you that's protecting you. That's providing for you. That's meeting your needs. But you're only going to have that when you're abiding, when you're connected. And when you remain connected, then you become what Psalm 1 says. That the blessed man bears fruit in every season. Guess what that means? That means that you and I, when we are abiding with God, when we are in abiding friendship with God in every season, God says you're going to bear fruit even in seasons of famine. Even in the hard times, you can bear fruit. Now he says, in every branch in me that bears fruit, my Father will prune. Él dice, cada pámpano que da fruto, mi Padre lo va a podar. What is pruning? It's cutting. That's that friend who speaks what you need to hear. The voice of the, of the Spirit, it's cutting. It says, get this out of your life. You see, when you prune a tree, when you prune a vine, when you prune a branch, it feels like you're killing it. But you're actually giving it life. You're actually giving it a new season, a next season. Why is God cutting? Why is God pruning? Why is God removing things out of your life? Because he wants to give you the next season. Listen, can I just speak with you tonight? Your next season is waiting on a pruning. Tu próxima época está dependiendo de una de que te poden. De que Dios venga a cortar. Now, we have a little example here at the church. When I first arrived out here on the front, it was a little tree. And from what I was told, it didn't, hadn't grown much in several years. It takes a tree a long time to really get, get growing. And Brother Ray over here, he said, Pastor... Uh, will you let me cut the tree? I want to cut some branches off of it. He said, because if I do that, it'll grow tall. I just took his word for it. But that tree not only grew taller, but it grew wider, stronger. Now imagine if six years later, it's still that scrawny little tree. It says, I've got all my baby teeth. I haven't ever lost anything. I'm so happy. A lot of Christians are happy just right there. I've still got everything I came with. And I haven't grown. Because they're abiding, but they're not allowing themselves to be cleaned. But if you will say, God... As, as the psalmist said in Psalm 139, he said, search me and know me. And if there be anything in me that's wayward, remove it, cut it out. Search me and know me, O God, and remove every anxious way in me. And then the psalmist lets us know how he can say that. He says, because I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. He's saying to God, God, you made me. 
And if you made me, you know how to cut me without hurting me. You know how to cut me and prune me without destroying me. And I trust that while you do that, everything in me that is useless and vain and uh, superfluous is going to be removed. And everything that is necessary for my growth and life is going to come. Can you walk with God in a famine? Abraham was about to learn the lesson of abiding and pruning. Now, one generation later, Isaac came along. And the Bible says that Isaac found himself in a famine too. Una generación después, dice la escritura que Isaac llegó y Isaac estaba en una época de sequía. And instead of running away, Isaac learned to abide. En vez de correr, Isaac se estuvo firme. And the Bible says that the Lord blessed Isaac in that season. Four times he doubled. Four times he grew what he had. Think about that. God blessed Isaac because he learned to abide and watch God work. So that when you go to Isaac, you say, Isaac, how did you prosper in the famine? He'll say, God did that. God did that. God showed up and blessed me because I just stuck with him. Would you stand with me tonight? Let's just bow our heads and lift our hands to God. And if God has spoken to some part of your life, your spiritual life tonight, I just want you to talk to him about it. Just invite him to come and prune. Tell him, Lord, teach me to abide. Teach me to abide because I want to grow. I don't just want to be blessed. I want to be a blessing. I want to grow. I want to become everything that you've designed me to be. Father, this is the prayer of our hearts. This is the prayer of our very innermost being to be a friend of God, to walk with you when we don't understand you, to trust you when we can't trace your hand, that we can trust your heart. This is our desire, our prayer, our yearning tonight to be so near to you. We are living and dwelling under that shadow of your almighty grace. Prune what must be pruned. Add what must be added. But let us walk with you. Let us enjoy fellowship with you tonight. And every night, oh God. Father, I pray tonight for any person that has gotten off course, that has detoured, that has taken the wrong route, any person who's gone down to Egypt, I pray tonight that in their spirit, in their heart, they will do as Abraham did. But the Bible said that he went up. 
He went back up to the place that God wanted him to be. And tonight I pray for that kind of revival, that kind of returning restoration in the hearts of somebody. For you said as our shepherd that you would restore our soul, that you would return us to the place of belonging. So I pray now, any heart, God, that needs that restoration, would you come, Holy Spirit, and just return them to the place where they need to be tonight. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things, God, because we trust that you can do them.